Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Are we all happy to be here tonight? I'm, I'm filled with joy. I'm glad to be here. Amen. Um, I just want to uh, first and foremost say uh, welcome to all our first time and uh, not first time visitors, those that have been with us for a while. Um, welcome. This is a great place to be. We're glad you're here. And those that have been around forever and ever and ever, we welcome you too. You're welcome as well. <laughs> Amen. Um, just a quick reminder before um, I read the scripture and we get into praise and worship. If um, you need to use the restroom or get a drink of water or anything, please use the back door when you're in the sanctuary and don't uh, go through the front way. It's a little bit more respectful, a little bit more uh, um, just easier. Amen. You can go around and come in the other door and then come back in through the back door. So it's just easier. Amen. All right. Let me uh, read a little scripture and then we'll get a little praise and worship. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's go ahead and stand up this evening, brothers and sisters, as we pray and get ready for praise and worship. Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we just praise you and honor you and we thank you tonight for this opportunity you've given us to be able to come together and to fellowship and to worship and to hear your word. Lord, tonight we just ask, Lord, that you would uh, be with those that are away from us for whatever reason. Lord, draw them back to us as quick as possible. We miss them and we love them and we want to see them here. And Lord, tonight I just pray, Lord, that you would just bless and anoint these musicians as they take us into that, that place of worship. And Lord, that you would just, uh, Lord, help us Lord, to be reminded how amazing and wonderful these things are. And Lord, uh, I just pray tonight that you would anoint the, the preacher, give him a courage, give him the words, and open up our hearts and minds to accept those words. We thank you for once again for this time. We love you, we praise you, and we honor you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
welcome you here tonight.
thank you so much that you would lay out your blood for us. Lord, your word even says, for a good man, someone may, may dare to die. But while we were still sinners, Lord, you laid your, down your life for us. Lord, we thank you so much. Lord, we thank you for your graciousness and your compassion. Be with us tonight, Lord. and compassionate slow to anger and rich in love the Lord is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and rich in love let's sing that verse again Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. And the Lord is good to all, and He has compassion on all that He has made. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far He has removed our transgressions from. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
far as the east as far as the Okay, church, let me hear you sing it to the Lord tonight.
Again, you are my king. You are my king. You believe that tonight, church? You are my king. Let's lift it up to him, church. Brothers and sisters, let's not leave that place of worship tonight. I just, my heart is so open and so full of that praise and worship. So let's not leave that place tonight. Even when we may joke or we may hear the word or whatever we do tonight, let's stay in that place of praise and worship because our God is worth it. He's worth our praise and our honor and our worship. Let's be reminded that he is so amazing. You know, that amazing love that comes from him. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to come into that place now where we... Uh, we uh, have praise reports and prayer requests, so let's get our praises ready so we can lift those up too, and our prayer requests that we can share with one another. But before I hand it over, 
I have a question for you. What happened to the cat when she swallowed a ball of wool? She had mittens. I'll get him later for that. <laughs> okay. It's my joy to honor you. In all I do, I honor you. Hmm, I got thinking just in the few minutes while I was being sung. Do we? Well, what honors him? If everything we do we want to honor him, it would be a good idea for us to know what honors him. So I said, what, what honors him? Well, maybe a lot of things. But throughout the Bible, he tells us there's two things, there's probably a lot of things, don't get me wrong, but there's two things that he wants. And I believe they both honor him greatly. Anybody want to venture a guess what one of the two or both of them are? Obedience. Obedience is one. Trust. What was it? Trust. Trust. That's right. To love one another. To love one another. What else? To love the same. <coughs> okay. What else honors him in what we do? In everything I do, I honor you. What was it? Your faith. Okay. They're all correct. He said give thanks. He said give thanks. Give, oh, give thanks. Well, that's the new year. I just put this on a little while ago, so I'm having time with it. Anyway, uh, yeah. Offering of praise. What? Say that again. Offering of praise. Offering oh, of praise. He says it all through the Bible. Praise him. He wants us to praise him because that gives him honor from us. What else would go right along with that? Come on, you know. What are we going to do here? Pray. Pray and praise are two things we can actively do with his guidance of the Holy Spirit to honor him. And it's like the song says. It's all about him. All my life I thought it was about me. Wrong on that one. So we're going to enter a time now where we continue. We've honored and praised him in song. Now let's honor and praise him in prayer and praise. Romans 12, 12 says, Rejoicing <coughs> in hope. Hmm. That's fun. Patient in tribulation. Not so much fun. Continuing instant in prayer. I got thinking, what does he mean by instant in prayer? All I could come up with is all the time. All the time. Be ready all the time to talk to him. Just like if you had your best friend or your spouse or whatever walking with you. You're ready all the time to chat. I really believe the Lord likes us to chat with him. I chat with him all day long. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight with joy and with expectation of your many promises that we know you keep. 
We know your word is true. It is solid. We can depend on it. We give you our lives, Lord, and we depend on you for everything in our lives. You've heard the requests tonight, the spoken requests, and I'm sure there are many unspoken requests also, and you know those as well. Lord, we know that you not only know the requests, you know the story behind them, and you know the story ahead of them, and you know the end, and it's all in your hands, Lord. We yield to you, Lord. We submit to you, our King, our Savior, our Lord. We ask you to be gracious and merciful as you always are. We ask you to be just in all things as you always are. And we thank you for who you are. We reach out to you and ask you to be with us this evening as we hear your word. We ask the words to come directly from you and directly to our hearts and to our individual needs. And we'll give you the praise and the glory and the honor for it all. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Praise the Lord. Isn't it wonderful that we can pray for one another and that we can hear each other's praises? Just that really strengthens me when I'm able to, to hear how he's working in other people's lives, not just my own life. Because I can wake up and see that every day. And I love doing that, but I love hearing when other people's lives are, are being affected by his mighty work. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, praise God. We get ready to... Uh, have our brother Seku come and uh, break the uh, bread of life with us, for us, and to us, and uh, have him preach to us. Amen. Let's get ready for that. And uh, before he comes, I have a question for you. What do cats drink on hot summer afternoons? Miced tea. I would not make that many cat jokes living in the house that you live in. <coughs> but, you know, you, you're, you're pretty brave, so God bless you on all your endeavors. And uh, you'll be the second funeral I ever preached, so. Uh, if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Kings, the 18th chapter. Um, tonight we're going to be talking about a God who answers by fire. And like Mark mentioned last week about having fear and trepidation in a certain way, um, I do my best, it sounds pretty hot, I do my best to be obedient to what I'm given. However, there are certain sermons where I'm, I'm like, okay, Lord, I, I get it, I see it, um, that's going to be difficult, but I'll be obedient. There's some sermons where part of me goes, that's very elementary and you know, hopefully the people don't get bored, but they need to hear it. He knows he has a divine plan. And then there are some sermons that are pretty huge um, 
in the fact that except God gives me the grace, I have no idea how this is going to be preached. So, um, and this is one of those. Uh, because anytime you ever talk about God answering by fire, it stirs up a lot of emotion. It stirs up a lot of controversy. It stirs up a lot of um, the Baptist going, okay, is he regressing to his Pentecostal ways? It stirs up a lot of Pentecostals going, about time! Uh, <laughs> and then the Methodists and Mennonites and Presbyterians and Catholics among us are going, just keep it down. So <laughs> that's a joke. It's a joke. It's just humor. Um, but this is difficult for me on many levels. And I think that as we go through this, there's a lot of us in this room that can resonate with that. Because obviously in 1 Kings, the 18th chapter, we're talking about who? Elijah, or Eliyahu HaTishbi, which is Hebrew for Eliyahu the Tishbite. And Elijah, being one of the most celebrated prophets that we've had other than Moses and Jesus Christ, um, so much so that in a Passover setter in the Jewish festival, they don't leave a cup out for Moses or Enoch or Adam, or Isaiah, or Jeremiah, or Jonah, or David even, they leave a cup for Elijah. So if you go to a Seder and you see a wine cup that just um, sits there for most of the, uh, the telling of the Passover, don't drink it. <laughs> don't drink it. Like, oh, they just got this wine sitting on the table. This, this is kind of long. I'm just going to, no. That's actually for Elijah. Um, Jesus mentions Elijah when he talks about here is one coming in the spirit of Elijah which is John the Baptist uh, Elijah has one of the distinct privileges even with and I hope you hear this even with his inner struggles because I'm not going to call Elijah immature I'm definitely not going to throw stones at a glass house or throw stones when I live in a glass house but I would look at it as even though he was 100% human and had his errors, his frailties, his concerns, sometimes his rebelliousness, sometimes his I'm in this all by myself sort of nature, not like any of us ever go through that, um, God still took him up when he transferred his mantle over to Elisha. This is a very powerful individual. And today we're only focusing on a part of his life, which is when he has an encounter with the 400, actually technically 850 false prophets that are in the land of Israel at the time. So turn to uh, 1 Kings 18. If you haven't gone there yet, we're going to be reading 17 through 24. Um, and I want you to think of this as we read through the introduction. I heard this joke, and it was not like wherever Oso was getting his jokes from. Um, and he ran, so I don't, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Maybe he took the threat seriously. Uh, but it was a joke about, and I think it's a Jewish joke. Obviously, I've been hanging around a lot of Jewish culture in my past. Um, a man out here praying and yelling, where is the God of Elijah? And he's praying earnestly. Where is the God of Elijah? He's looking to see change where he's at. 
and he's praying with all the fervor and the gusto that he can. Where is the God of Elijah? And one day he finally hears God speak. Where are the Elijahs? Let's stand. Mm. And we're standing in honor of reading God's word. We're reading 17 through 24, and I'm reading out of the New King James. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, Not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word and just to be able to come together and worship freely and hear from you. We pray, Lord, that it is your spirit that speaks to us, whether it is through each other audibly or whether it is within our spirit, but we pray that you show us what you would have for each and every one of us out of your word from your spirit in this place today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So what you're about to see is a showdown. What my pastor used to call a knockdown drag out. He was going to knock some people down and we were going to drag them out. Now this isn't quite that extensive. Well, it kind of is, actually. <laughs> if you've read the story before. But it's a showdown. It's a fight. It's the thriller in Manila. For those of y'all old enough to remember that. And what you're going to see is three separate parts all coming together in this season to prove or to, to declare who God is. Number one, for this setting, this is not an easy time, nor is it a popular faith to stand up for the name of the Lord God. What they're going through in this moment is a famine of three years. This was not happenstance. This was not coincidence. This was not something that came across because of the nature and signs and seasons. This was a drought that came upon them from God. Because this nation, Israel, the northern kingdom at this time it split, Israel is distancing itself from the God who created it to serve after Baal and Asherah or Ashtoreth. For those of y'all who don't know who they are, they're false gods, so they're really nobody. But they are man-created entities 
so that they could then turn around and worship something that they gave in their mind the power to control the weather and the agriculture for that people. Now, that may not mean too much for us because we're city folk. But if you're an agricultural society, you live and die based on the rain and the heat and your ability to grow crops. That is this culture and the cultures around them. And so these cultures look at the cultures around them and see how they're doing, but they also have a problem of faulty leadership. See, the introduction of these false gods did not come from the people themselves, but from their leadership. They came from Ahab, a man who is an Israelite who should know better. But Ahab decided to go out and marry this woman, stop art, uh, <laughs> named Jezebel. Jezebel is not an Israelite. She comes from a foreign country. And with her introduction into Israeli leadership, she brought her pagan gods. Under her influence, and for some reason, Ahab not standing up and saying, this is how we do things and this is not what we're going to do, she, through Ahab, the both of them together, because I'm not going to say one is more than the other, their leadership introduced false religion into Israel. And the people ate it up. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, we like gods we can control. I'm not saying us, you know, in this building, maybe. But we like gods we can control because we get what we want to out of them. We worship them the way we feel we should worship. And the worship of Baal and Ashtaroth is pornographic at best. And that's saying something. It actually gets a lot worse than that. Uh, there's murder involved. There, it's just bad, and I won't give it honor. But here is a whole nation stepping away from the right and righteous God that brought them into that land, who provided them a land filled with milk and honey, gave them victory over their enemies. And now they're worshiping poles, rocks, false gods, false religions. And now here is this man named Elijah standing up to draw attention back to God. That is very difficult to do when you're outnumbered. It's very difficult to do when you're in a culture that does not want to hear what you have to say. And I'm hoping that you see the parallel to what Elijah's going through to what we're going through as a church. To stand up in the midst of a culture that is choosing to seek things which please their desires and not have a God who's telling them what they should and shouldn't be doing. Now, Elisha is not alone, but with the insecurities and issues that he has going on, sometimes you feel alone when you're out there fighting on a daily basis. Three years Elijah has spent running, hiding, hanging out with various people, all because he knew and had spoke out about this coming drought. This drought is a slap in the face to Baal and Asherah. It's a slap in the face to their worship. Because you're worshiping false gods in order to bring rain. But because you've neglected God, there is no rain coming. But they couldn't put the correlation together. Finally, God speaks up and says, Elijah, I want you to go present yourself to Ahab. 
He goes through an intermediary named Obadiah, who is loyal to God but still serves in the house of the king. Obadiah is not having it. He is, uh-uh. Every time people look for you and they say, here is Elijah, God moves you somewhere, and then the people who bought the message, something bad happens to them because people are frustrated with Elijah. He's not popular because he speaks the truth. And so people don't want to just meet up with Elijah and go, hey, buddy, how you doing? How's it? Hey, I haven't seen you in a long time, Elijah. It's good to see No. They got swords. They're after his life or for three years, and even more than that, but for three years, he's running for his life. So Elijah meets up with Obadiah and says, set up a meeting with Ahab. Obadiah's like, hmm. <laughs> You're setting me up, aren't you? And Elijah says, no, 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 this is for real. I'm going to meet with Ahab. We got to have a talk. All right, so Obadiah sets up the meeting. Ahab, the leader of Israel, is involved in this along with the prophets of Baal, along with the prophets of Asherah, in this meeting on Mount Carmel in order to settle for this season which God Israel should be serving. Now, Mount Carmel means field. So it's already a mountain that specifies being a place of abundance, a place of growth, a place of life. So it's interesting that God says on Mount Carmel, we're going to have this showdown, and we're going to see who really supplies Israel. The same thing can be said for our day and age, because we, like Elijah, are proclaiming the one true God, his son, Jesus Christ, is the only name whereby men and women must be saved. But we are in the midst of a very ungodly culture that doesn't want to deal with the church unless it can deal with the church on its terms. Even rewriting theology and telling people how they should believe and even who God is to suit their needs, not to acknowledge God. And in the middle of this conflict, is a group of people, either church or people who look to God, but like Israel, they have grown apathetic. See, the problem, children, is the faulty leadership, their false, their false prophets, and their false gods. But the affected people by this situation are the chosen people of Israel who are standing in the middle of all this conflict, and the conflict is so overwhelming that when Elijah says, where's John? Okay, I can't say that or get off the pot, so I'm going to have to say something else. If he says, make a decision, and they all look at him and go, that's a problem. The whole community has grown now to a point to where they don't want to get involved. So Elijah throws down the gauntlet and says, look, all right, you guys want to be quiet? That's fine. But we're going to have a showdown, and then you're going to have to acknowledge, is it God or is it Asherah and Baal? You're going to choose. And they said, okay. So they want to see this fight play out. Is that a good thing? Not always. But the thing is, is that sometimes even the people who have grown complacent and apathetic need a reminder of who God is. Then you have the answer. Elijah, the God of Israel, and the faithful remnant. And all three of them are sitting down, standing up, 
getting ready to have this showdown because God is about to restore rain to Israel. But before he does that, he wants to send a message first. We go to 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 25 through 29. And that is the beginning of the process of the challenge that Elisha threw out to the 450 prophets of Baal. We're going to get two bulls. It's going to be fair playing field as far as what we offer up as a sacrifice. You get your bull. You do what you got to do. I'm going to get a bull. I'm going to do what I got to do. And we'll see if God responds or whose God responds. And they go, okay, great. We're going to show you. I don't know why you would enter into a competition like that knowing that your gods are silent and don't really exist. That's like really setting yourself up for failure. Um, I would have tap danced my way out of that one, but evidently they didn't have tap dancing back then. So they get their ball and they start their process. Very hard to read this tiny writing, and I didn't read my, uh, bring my contacts, so shame on me. Now, as they're getting ready to go through this, <laughs> it seems deplorable, but it reminds you of what we do when we go after and try to prove the supremacy of our false gods. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bowl for yourself and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God and put no fire under it. You are many. He kind of tosses that out as a, as a backwards compliment, a backhanded compliment. You are many. There's a lot of you. So I'm going to give you time to sort out all that stuff because y'all know when you get many together, many don't focus on a solid <coughs> movement very often. It's, it's an issue with them. It's just everybody's got a voice. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got a desire. And even Jesus talks about the difference between few and many. So he says, you are many. So go first. Do what you got to do. As a matter of fact, I will wait. We'll just sit here and be an idle participant or an idle watcher. Meanwhile, keep in mind, the king of Israel is watching and all of the children of Israel are watching. So he sits down. They get up. They turn around and say, all right, well, they take their bull. And in verse 26, so they took the bull which was given them and they prepared it. And they called on the name of the ball from morning till noon, saying, oh, Ball, hear us. Now keep in mind, the ball I'm talking about is not what you see on Stargate. I know who's been watching Stargate. <laughs> they're calling on this. They're, they're publicly, I mean, this isn't something that they just hope he shows up. They're imploring. In front of the people that they're trying to show in order to worship this false god. They're yelling. They're howling. Oh, ball, hear us. Elijah's sitting over there on the sidelines. Yeah, keep calling on your false god. Just go, take your time. You would say, when we do this to Baal and Ashtoreth worshipers, yeah, well, they got what they got coming to them. But then how many people around us are also engrossed in the worship of idols and not worshiping God? And they will call and cry out and swear to their dogmas and their theories and their understandings to nobody's business. Like evolution. Like capitalism. You say, well, wait, 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 wait. We live in a capitalistic society. That's, that's, the, that's the best society that you can have. That's a different argument. 
What I'm talking about is the worship of capitalism. Mm -hmm. Is the worship of a financial structure that if it fails, you don't know what to do with your life. And that's on a global scale. What about an individual scale? Because there are really three segments that we're looking at when we look at this passage of scripture. Number one, what actually happened. Number two, the struggle between the church and the culture and then the very people who are on the sidelines saying, you know what, I know God is real, but I'm intertangled with all of this confusion. And the third thing is there's also a micro picture of us as individuals. Because there's a part of us in our spirit that is latched on to God. There's a part of us in our flesh <laughs> that is latched on to idols. Uh, it's quiet now. Everybody's, y'all full, huh? Is that food? It's the food, huh? Yeah. And, it, <laughs> and then you have the third part, which is your soul, which is caught in between the cry of the Father and the cry of the flesh. Am I talking to the right church? I just want to make sure, you know, because if we're the good and perfect church, we can end this now and we can, we can go to communion and, and, and go on. But if I'm not a good and perfect pastor, then I'm pretty sure I'm pastoring a good and perfect, not good and perfect bunch of people. So I think we're all in the same boat because we all have this struggle. Now, we don't want to admit when we're in church because how many people in church want to keep the church face on? God on you. But the thing about it is, is that when we get one-on-one, -on -one, we start talking to people, we start admitting, you know, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, that which I do, and then I go look in the mirror, and I'm all super frustrated because I want to be nice and be loving, but then my flesh says, yeah, he ain't got nothing coming. You can be angry at him. You can be mean at him. You can be unforgiving. You can be hateful. Mm. <laughs> Meddling. <laughs> and I only got so much time to meddle. So... When you, when you look at this, keep that in mind, that we're talking about our culture, but we're also talking about ourselves. So they get to yelling, they get to worshiping, they get to realizing that they have a pointless system of worship. But unfortunately, when you're committed to a pointless system of worship, and usually there's pride behind it, pride means that you cannot admit that it is pointless. You don't believe me, ask evolutionists. I don't know why I'm picking on them today. Ask physicists. Even Einstein had to admit that there's some things about physics that's just downright spooky. But most scientists will swear up and down that how they see things is how it is until disproven by something that makes more sense, but anything logical makes more sense than something that's faithful which does not make sense to a scientist. Show them the scripture that says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen, and they will wrestle with that until they're blue in the face. What do you mean unseen? What do you mean that hope for? What, you mean to tell me that God brings things into, into, into happening based on his word and you just believe in it as though it is because it is and will be? That doesn't make any sense to somebody who's thinking with the secular mind. So these prophets are just swearing up and down uh, to the point where they're, they're already committed. They will not turn their back on their pointless sense of worship. So in verse 27 and 28, Elijah decides to up the ante. He decides to meddle. <laughs> so it was at noon that Elijah mocked him and said, cry aloud, for he is a God. 
Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. This is, what, what translation is this? New King James. It's very nice. They've left out something really funny. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, because in, in Hebrew and in a lot of the older texts, they translate it for what it is. Now, we don't do toilet humor in the church because we're above that and we're sophisticated and we're educated. And, 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 but Elijah said, maybe he's using the bathroom. <laughs> so what do they do? They get more upset. And now they start up in the ante by cutting themselves and doing physical self-destruction in order to prove their point. So much so that there's bloodshed everywhere. There's all of this pouring themselves out. Now, what God would ask for you to destroy yourself for its worship? The culture pours itself out in order to worship the things that we worship in society. Our flesh destroys itself to worship the pointless idols that we know do us no good. But instead of relenting and repenting, we overcommit to it to our own destruction. We have this mentality of I got to do more. Sometimes we serve God like that. Because we're so used to our faith or not faith, but our works-based system of worshiping false gods or our own ideology, that when we serve God, sometimes we think he requires the same thing. So now, when God doesn't answer, instead of waiting and being patient and trusting, we get to cutting our flesh and destroying ourselves. And mm, You say, well, what do you mean by that? I don't cut my flesh for the kingdom. No, but we do punish ourselves. Believe me, I'm good at it. So I, I know those who punish themselves. We punish ourselves by overworking, trying hard to be righteous and all these different things and not relying on his grace and his transformation and going into his presence and seeking mercy and grace at his throne. But we say, you know what? I'm going to build a fence around this and I'm going to show God that I'm righteous. I'm going to show God that I can do this thing. I'm going to show God that I'm worthy. Good luck with that. When all of the hype is over, and whether the false god is the Asherah or Baal or a financial system or what's going on in this world or something that our flesh is after, after the hype, there's the emptiness. After the excitement, and we think we got something out of it, but realize that what the end result was was not tangible, not eternal, not long-lasting. We have two choices. We either find something that is, or we go back and keep trying to reinvent the wheel and make this thing work with these false gods. <coughs> so, in verse 30, Elijah has had enough. <laughs> Thank God. He has turned around and said, you know what? Let's, let's end this. I've let you guys make a fool of yourself long enough. Sometimes God does that to us. I've heard many, many stories, including my own, of people who had to get to the end of their rope before God says, okay, do I have your attention? Are you ready to hear me now? Are we ready to have a realistic conversation? Are you still going to put up your false ideas and all these other things you think make the kingdom? Or can we reason together so that you understand 
what I am doing with you. So Elijah says, enough, enough. Verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him. And the first thing he did was repair the altar of the Lord that was broken down. The same thing that we're tasked with to do in this society and even in our own lives. Go back to the areas where we knew to worship God, but somehow let those altars go to disrepair and start repairing them. Start repairing them. Go back and say, Lord, where did we get off track? Where did I start focusing on things of the world instead of you? Father, help me to repair the structures in my life that led me to you. Sometimes that's getting back into prayer. Because I know how much we are about prayer. Now, about three minutes and then we're good. <laughs> but it's getting back to having that intimate conversation with God. To having heartfelt worship of God, not mechanical worship of God. Not we hit the right chord progression and it's all emotional, but to think about what we're singing and about what we're saying and to acknowledge God as king. Sometimes repairing the altar in our life means to look at the areas where we have given up praise for murmuring and complaining, for negative meditation, and giving our problems and our circumstances and our situations more airtime from our voice than giving God the airtime that he deserves. And to go into a situation and say, I know this is daunting, but my God is bigger. I know this is overwhelming, but my God is bigger. I'm not saying that that's easy, but I'm saying it needs to be repaired. You're not looking at somebody who is walking up here going, I have this all figured out. This is October. We just had a meeting yesterday about some of the struggles I have in October. And so while I'm talking to you guys about this, I have to do the same thing. Lord, you know what? Where did I get off track with this month? <laughs> How do I get focused back on you? Because things got askew. It's repairing that altar, repairing that relationship, going back and acknowledging the brokenness. But don't just acknowledge the brokenness. Turn right back around and say, Lord, how do we set this right? The second thing he does is he prepares a sacrifice. Next verse. Elijah took 12 stones according to the numbers of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and made a trench around the altar long enough, long enough, large enough to hold two seeds of seed. Next verse. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, laid it on the wood, and then he said something very unique. Fill four water pots with water, pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. You say, what? Then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. It's funny how they were obedient to this. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. It's funny how they're obedient to this. They didn't help them set up the bowl. They didn't help them rebuild the altar. But they sure will pull some water on that sacrifice. You got to watch what happens with the people around you when you're going through this process. See, he says, I need to start doing certain things. He repairs the altar. He 
uh, prepares a sacrifice. He's setting things up for this showdown, and then he invites challenge and skepticism into the process. Oh, you think that this is... Well, well bring your water. Pour, pour all your complaints on this. Pour all of your thoughts on this. Pour all of your skepticism on this. Pour all of your worldly reasons as to why this won't. Go ahead and pour it on. You say, well, what do you mean by that? We all have had friends. I'm pretty sure in starting this ministry, or even starting this church, that people around us are going, that'll never work. Pour some more water on them. You guys are crazy. Pour some more water on them. There's no way a church full of registered citizens can pour some more water on them. Because this isn't about people. It's not about the sacrifice. It's not about the stones. It's not about their skepticism. It's about God proving who he is to the just and the unjust. Amen. So pour more water on it. Don't get upset when the skeptics around you start talking trash about Christianity. Because we get upset about that. We do. We don't like hearing that. But that's what they're going to say. You know what? I invite your skepticism. I trust God. I invite your concern. I trust God. I trust God. So say what you got to say. Because I'm not persuaded by your argument. I am convinced of the truth. The, even family can do this. I need to move. But even family can do this. We had a conversation on Thursday about non-living water. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. That's a spirit-led word from God. Some people can speak the word of God, but it's not led of the spirit. And just because they speak the word of God doesn't mean it's something spiritually needed for your life. Like, for instance, oh, Chris, God shall supply all your needs according to your riches and glory. That's truth. But what's motivating me to say that? Is it because that's what the spirit gave for me to say to him in this moment because of what he's going through? Or is it because my flesh is concerned for his situation, so I'm going to pull a random scripture that does not apply to what he's going through in order to make him feel better? You say, well, I'm, speak I'm speaking the word of God. Let every man who speaks speak as the oracles of God. Amen. If you're going to open up your mouth and quote scripture, you better trust the Holy Spirit to say what you need to say so it's a, a, a word in season and out of season. Amen. That it is an apple rightly fitted in its fitting not just vain babblings. Let's move on before we get into trouble with that <laughs> My brother and I we used to have battles with the Word of God. And I don't know, we were just young and goofy. But we would sit up there, and one day, you know, I'd just throw a scripture on there, and, and he would read it, and so he'd retaliate with a scripture, and we're just throwing scriptures at one another. We, we did this in the church, too, and it was just like, what arrogant kids we were. <laughs> Instead of speaking the truth in love, which means finding out what I need to say, when I need to say it, and then saying it out of service for whoever it is that I'm addressing. Then he goes on after all of this, and he glorifies God. Now, they were glorifying Baal. Well, they weren't really glorifying Baal. They were just hollering and screaming and showing confusion and chaos. But Elijah goes up and calmly declares who God is. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. 
at your word. At your word. So when he does this, number one, he goes on into first and foremost a public declaration of who God is. He starts with prayer because this is what he's doing in this moment is praying. But he's also being obedient to his word. He didn't go up and say, I feel like picking a fight with Baal and Asherah. He said, I'm following your word. What you told me to do, I am being obedient to what you have said. Then he goes on to do this out of service for his will and his people. Because again, remember that this is a showdown between false prophets and the God of Israel and the people caught in between. In this day and age, it's a showdown between the church and the world and the people caught in between. And for us individually, it is a showdown between our spirit and our flesh and our soul, which is caught in between, which is tired of the mess and tired of the chaos. So it gets apathetic. And God says, well, if I can't speak to your flesh, but let me speak to your spirit. When your spirit <coughs> starts glorifying God, you start seeing change radiate out into your flesh. You say, well, what do you mean by that? It starts in the spirit. This church, this church is not the building. This church isn't the tables and the chairs and the things that we're doing. We are all baptized into the spirit. And because of that, we are worshiping in the spirit. You're just seeing the manifestation of it in the natural. The chairs don't matter. Your fellowship with the spirit of God matters. And eventually that starts radiating out through your soul and then eventually through your flesh. You can clap your hands and lift your hands and do all that in the flesh. But when your spirit is telling your flesh, bow down, God's in charge, that is ideally the way that God wants us to operate. So he's serving God's will for his people. And through it all, he is knowing, trusting, and expecting God to show up. And he does. And he does. God answered by fire. He could have answered audibly, but then people would have argued with the voice. He could have answered by bringing rain, but then people could have took credit for it. But he answered by fire. Now, I know that's kind of a terrifying concept, but when God answers by fire, what fire does is something different than what his voice does. His voice commands things into motion, but fire transforms. It destroys, it releases, it converts, it reverts. You ever wonder what happens if you decide to fly into the sun, Icarus? Well, in the atmosphere, your wings will melt. But if you actually go into the sun, guess what happens? You will disintegrate. When you draw close to God, the things on the inside of you start to bow down the closer you draw to him. What does the Bible say? Draw near unto God. And he will draw near unto you. But the closer you get to God, you start realizing that things can't stand and they have to bow down. As you bow down, as your spirit gains strength, the flesh has to bow down. So when this fire shows up, they can't take credit for that. They can't look at that and go, we can recreate that. Not only was it a powerful demonstration to Israel, but it was powerful enough in its entity to not only consume the sacrifice, but everything that's around it. Just like when God shows up in your life and when God shows up through the church, all the skepticism has to cease. 
all of the people saying, you know what, that's not truth or we disagree. It's funny how when God's spirit shows up, all of our opinions matter none. All of our ideas matter none. When they had the same thing happen, when they dedicated the temple, God, they were worshiping, they were all on one mind and one accord. God showed up, the smoke of his glory filled the temple. Everybody said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And they all bowed down and let God be God. Would to God that that would happen in the church. Our board is, 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 is what runs the church. Our ideas are what runs the church. I got a great idea for this, that, and the other until God shows up. And then everybody has to say, you know what? Just let God do his thing and let's just bow down and worship him. Yes. Would to God that we had more of that. What do you think happens in your spirit? You ever, I know time. You ever have those moments when you go through a season of, let's just call it foolishness? And then you go, what was I thinking? I got off track. And, and you, get, you have this moment where you go, get on your knees, you do business with God, and something happens in your spirit that your flesh is like, mm, we have to check out because I can't compete with this. What it looks like is that you do business with God and then you get up and all of a sudden things that you thought were important become distasteful. Things that you thought were special now have their place. Because now God has not only re, uh, revived your spirit, so to speak, but he has inflamed your spirit. And all you want to do is live for him and show out. And people can't do anything but either get converted or get out the way. You would be surprised at how the fire coming from the church would change the sacrifice that the church is bringing forth, which is themselves. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Give yourself unto God and watch what happens when God shows up. How God would transform even our very lives when we say, you know what, Lord, I'm all in. And he says, great, now that you're done serving false gods and false ideas, let's get to work. And you start seeing a newfound passion going on in your life that your flesh can't keep up with. The fire of God falling is an undeniable and humbling witness. Terrifying, even. I had a, uh, an idea once where I says, you know what, God, I'm barbecuing. And I was. I was barbecuing in the backyard, back of the apartment. And uh, kids were inside <coughs> running around doing whatever. And, and I just, out of hubris, just got to thinking, Lord, what would that look like if your fire fell down from heaven onto this barbecue pit like it fell onto the altar of, uh, uh, onto the brazen altar? And I got this vision that I can only describe as some, because this isn't, it didn't show up. It didn't just spontaneously combust. It said fire fell from heaven. So this is something you see coming towards a target. And when I looked up, and it's pitch black outside, it's nighttime, and I look up and I see what in my mind's eye appears to be a comet, I'm like, I'm good. I'm, I will not play with that idea anymore. I get it, Lord. I get it. <laughs> that, that's, mm. So if you see that happening, you can't argue with that. You're either going to be excited about what God is doing, or you're going to run and hide. The fire fell when God answered the prayer of Elijah and the hearts of the people being restored back to him. Just like in our modern culture, 
when God's fire falls upon a church, the people who are looking to God will be restored. The people who are raising up false ideas will find themselves being ostracized. I'm going to close with two things because we have to move. 1 Kings 18.40 The aftermath of God answering by fire was twofold. Number one, and Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. In other words, the time for negotiation is over. Your God didn't show up and your ideas are done. Took them down to the brook and executed 850 people in one day. You say, that's rather harsh. <coughs> How many times have we allowed false gods false ideas, false pretenses back into our lives after God has brought the fire because we didn't take them down to the brook and execute them. Elijah called out and said, seize them. Don't even, don't even end the argument. Just reclaim power over the falsehood. Take it to where it needs to go and have it executed. That's lesson number one. It, when God's fire falls, if it doesn't repent, it needs to go. There is a story about a preacher who would just, on a revival, first night he would go in there, there's hundreds and hundreds of people in this place. He would go in there and preach so hard, next night, a good chunk of them didn't come back. And he'd preach hard again, and another chunk didn't come back. And he'd preach hard again, another chunk didn't come back. So on this fourth night, when the preacher goes up to the pulpit, gets ready to preach, only a handful of people in the congregation, and he says, great, now we can start praying about revival. You have to burn off all the old ideas, all the things that no longer apply when God's fire falls. It has to go. Don't reason with it. Don't argue with it. Don't try to have a conversation with it. Seize it, take it down to the brook, and put it out of its misery. Number two. Verse 41, after this great mass execution, Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. Interestingly enough, until those things which poisoned Israel were executed, then God chose to bring the rain. Some of us are wondering why we have a drought in our own life. Why we have this, this dry spell where things aren't working the way are, that they are individually. And even in the church, why do we go through, through all this, this agony and all of this trial and tribulation, this dry spell? Have we executed the very things that try to poison the very people we're called to serve? Have we seized them and taken them out of the picture? Because when we eliminate the poison, then God says, now get ready for the rain. Just like fire transforms, rain is what brings life. Rain is why they were worshiping false gods. And those false gods could not overpower God to bring the rain. The church in this day and age sometimes suffers from allowing so many poisonous ideas to interfere that we wonder where the rain is but we haven't eliminated the poisonous ideas. Sometimes even in our own life, 
We want to worship the God of lottery. We want to worship the God of our job. We want to worship the God of pleasure. And even when God gives us the victory, we don't turn around and say, you have no place in my life. And then we wonder why we're still in a dry spot. Go to God and have him remove those things which are poisoning your mind. And then watch how God brings the abundance of rain into your life afterwards. He is our provider. He is our creator. And our ultimate relationship with him, whether it be through hearing the coolness of the voice of the Lord, well, hearing the voice of the Lord and the coolness of the day, or whether he answers by fire, it's so that our attention and our worship is focused on him. And as we focus on him and draw attention to him, he rains out blessings upon us. We don't do it because of the blessings. As a matter of fact, that's not even our motivation. We want to see God put in his rightful place in this world by lifting him up, by declaring the Lord Jesus Christ, by showing the Holy Spirit's transformation on the inside of us. That's what we look for. But when God is lifted up, then he starts pouring out life-giving rain upon the people who need it, upon even us. I don't want to meddle because we need to move on to communion. But tonight, if there are things in your life that God is showing you that need to be eliminated, and I'm pretty sure everybody has a list, including myself, before we even ask for God to bring fire back into the church, we need to ask God to bring fire back into our lives. To say, Lord, I understand where the altar has been broken down. But I am declaring today that I want to repair the altar and I want to remove the false prophets and restore my relationship with you. Now, I don't mean that you're no longer saved. What I mean by restoring the relationship is restoring the frequency of the relationship. That open dialogue and communication that we notice that we miss when we go on these long spells away from you. If that's you tonight, I ask you to join me in prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, you can look at our lives and you can look at all of the experience and things that we go through, what we have looked to for power, what we have looked to to establish an identity both as individuals and as a culture. And those things brought no rain, no peace, no joy, no life. Lord, tonight, with the hearts who are calling out to you in this room, we pray that you send your fire in each and every one of our lives and collectively into the church so that we once again are reinvigorated with a passion to see you on the throne in our lives and in this world. And as we see you on the throne and see you in your glory, we thank you that as you are enthroned in the praises of your people, you speak out and send the rain and set things right. So, Father, tonight, help us to put to death those things that try to poison our mind and poison our potential so that we can hear only from you and look only to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we get ready to do communion tonight, we look upon this time. Uh, 
with thankfulness. Oftentimes with sometimes a heavy heart. And both sides of that are, are important because when we look at communion, we're not actually bringing communion to where we're at. We're looking back to when Christ died on the cross. And we recognize the seriousness of it. That's the somber part of it. But we also recognize the joy of it because of the love that we see demonstrated through his sacrifice on the cross. So as we prepare to eat this bread and drink this cup, in the same manner that our brothers and sisters in many churches are doing and have done for 2,000 years, be mindful of the cost of God showing us his love, but also by the same token, rejoice in the fact that God loves you enough to pay the price in order to restore and redeem us. For I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. Father, we thank you for this bread, this body that was broken for you. Lord, help us to remember your sacrifice and to remember the fact of why you did it and your victory over death and the grave because of it. May your broken body unify your body that we are as the church. In Jesus' name, amen. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for each and every one of us on Calvary. We thank you for the blood that not only atones, but also sanctifies us and covers us as we walk until we meet with you again. In Jesus' name, amen. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. For as often as you rise up from this table, that's not in the scripture, it's just, I'm saying, you show the Lord's life to all that you come into counter with. Would you all stand? As we get ready to close with the benediction, I would urge you not to let what you think the fire of God is be defined by either people who have attributed to something that is not of God or attributed to something and added to it something that terrifies people because of the antics of people. But instead, none of us in this room, none of us who name the name of Jesus Christ should ever be afraid of the fire of God. Corinthians teaches us that you can build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stone. But every man's work will be tried by fire. But even though the fire may burn up what you do, it doesn't burn up who you are. 
because you are built on the foundation that is Jesus Christ. So I would never look at the fire as something to be afraid of, but to be welcome. Because all it will do is burn out the things that are not of you, and it will reignite those things that are of God. Would you lift your hands for the benediction? Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Let the church say, Amen. Amen. God bless you.